As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, welcome to the Game Podcast. This is Hugh Wozencroft. Today, lots to discuss. What happens if England players take the knee? Is there a watershed moment for mental health in football? We'll talk about football's darkest secret as well. As, of course, who would want to boycott the World Cup? Also, who prefers their country to their clubs? Help me through it all. Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson and Tom Roddy. How are you guys? Hi, Hugh. How are you doing? I am am very well. I am very well. It's quite a serious podcast for us today, though. Some topics for us to get our teeth into. We'll start on the road to Qatar. It's begun. The qualifiers are underway in Europe, of course. Um, But what exactly are the streets paved with? Who buy and at what cost? Despite the proven corruption that led to the award of the 2022 World Cup, the competition will still take place in the oil-rich Arab state of less than 3 million in population. But the event has been overshadowed by claims of structural racism, coercive labour conditions, of course, the anti-LGBT stance and laws in the country, the lack of transparency over a reported 6,500 migrant worker deaths since they were awarded the World Cup, 37 of those linked to the building of Stadia. Of course, women's rights in the country are still restricted. We could go on, but last night, Norway's players made a stance on this. They wore T-shirts before their World Cup qualifier saying, human rights on and off the pitch. Martin Odegaard of Arsenal and Real Madrid said he believes that many players will want to contribute to the conversation and take a stance. Norway's FA have now set up a committee to examine their concerns. The Netherlands also this week speaking about it. Uh, Johnny, taking a step back, looking at the entire thing, the award of the World Cup in Qatar, can can we still believe that it's happening? No, I mean... it's still surreal, uh, the thought that we're going to go to a, a small, hot country with, with no history of football to, to play, you know, the world's greatest football tournament. Uh, I, was in, I was in Qatar for the, world, the Club World Cup last year with Liverpool, and it was, it was surreal, the experience of going out to see the, the World Cup final stadium that's, that's being built. I mean, they're constructing an entire kind of mini city around it with, with, with roads and, and infrastructure all the way out. And... and you know the feeling that they're, they're doing all of this just to just to host four weeks of football um, is absurd, and, and that's before you get to the this more serious matter, which is which is of course the the human rights issues and 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 the the, the thought that um, that football in the world is going to ignore the, those and and just try and crack on with the football tournaments doesn't sit very well. Still doesn't seem. Um, like it really is happening, uh, and and you know, Sepp Blatter, I think his ban was extended by FIFA uh, just a couple of days ago. It, this feels like the last remnants of, of an old um, way of doing things um, that we're kind of stuck with. 
then again, is Infantino any better? I don't know. The whole the whole thing doesn't seem right. And, and now, of course, we're beginning the World Cup qualifiers and it is becoming very real, but we shouldn't be going to Qatar. Uh, the Norway players m- may well agree. Other football associations may well agree. Shouldn't be going to Qatar, Tom Roddy. What do you think? Because FIFA have had to pressure the country to increase their standards since the award in, in 2010. And there are still question marks here. Yeah, totally, uh, Hugh. I mean, the, you look back to there were some reforms brought in, human rights reforms brought in in 2019 in Qatar. But I mean, before then, frankly, we you're almost in kind of Jim Crow territory for a lot of migrants there because they had to get permission from their sponsors to, to change employment. And more often than not, the sponsor was the employer. So, it you know, it f- felt like Jim Crow law almost before 2019. Um, it's it's a kind of, it feels like Johnny said, the, the kind of surreal nature of this four-week tournament, 10 years of of building and construction and and the 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 cost the huge cost in so many ways for for this tournament it 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 feels a lot like this sudden uh, maybe it's not sudden but this feeling of kind of sports washing suddenly where you know, we we we're, we're seeing a lot of fights going out to Saudi Arabia and and the kind of money talks there um and it's it's just a really ugly situation, and and I think the you know the the Norway players wearing the 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 t-shirts, it's it's good to open up our uh, open up many people's eyes to it. Um, you know, it's it's got us talking about it today, and it it seems incredible to think that you know three years ago we had the prime minister talking about England boycotting the World Cup in Russia because of the Salisbury poisoning and there's there's not really been any possibility of or discussion around it happening when you've got 6,500 migrants losing their life. Um, my only experience of, of Qatar so far has been, was 2019 actually, and that was a connection flight in the, the airport, which was a similar, I mean, it felt like a Westfield. It's this huge... And, and that's what I think the the experience is going to be for the for the tournament. You know, it's going to be this impressive. There's going to be hugely impressive um, infrastructure, but it, it's it's so tainted, absolutely tainted. I think people have spoken in the past about sport selling its soul. I mean, this is probably going to be the ultimate, probably the biggest example of sports washing we have seen so far. I think it's unlikely. That, that will happen with the Olympic Games, but the Football World Cup is certainly the next best thing. And, and it's almost a green light to these strong, very authoritarian states on the global stage, Gregor. Um, is it? I mean, do you agree with me? Do you think it's the ultimate sports washing event? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with John. I think you just have to hope that this is the nadir of FIFA's kind of... Uh, I don't know, you know, the bribes and corruption allegations. Corruption, yeah. All the, yeah. Um, you know, homosexuality is, is illegal there. <laughs> uh, they've literally transposed the tournament to a different time of year and right in the middle of the season. There's so many things, but clearly this, the treatment, it, an average of 12 people dying a week in the time since uh, since they've been awarded the tournament. That is, that is the most serious issue. And I don't think, you know, Johnny was kind of saying, yeah, we're, we're going to go along and 
for four weeks and and focus on football. I, I don't think it's going to work for them. I think it's just you know this we've just started the World Cup qualification campaign and already we're talking about this and this is not going to go away. I think it's only going to highlight their um, their their human rights record and many other things. Um, I don't you know, and also I think that footballers no longer going to kind of trot out platitudes about it. We've already seen was footballers are more willing to take a stand for for things they, they believe strongly and we saw Jeannie Wijnaldum say things. Odegaard um, came out and spoke about it and I'm sure many other players will. Yeah, John Stones I think said that the the, the England players do want to you know have a conversation about that that tournament as well and that's a, a Manchester City player talking. Well yeah, that's a, that kind of highlights the complication in all this too and, and you have to remember you know, Odegaard maybe has to remember that the the stadium he plays in for Arsenal is called the Emirates. Um, so you know, this is a complicated subject. But as a, the main thing is, I think what's changed is that footballers are feel kind of empowered enough to 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 have these conversations where in the past they wouldn't have. I don't think. Tom, do you think players can affect the situation with a a possible boycott or just merely stating that it's a possibility? I think both. Uh, both has a huge effect on the situation because it it opens up people's eyes to to what is going on it's a, it's it's it slightly moves into the conversation of what's been going on over the, the last year with the taking of the knee in football because people uh, rightly saying that you know it's all it, Wilfred Zaha I know that we're going to talk about the taking of the knee but but Wilfred Zaha stopped doing it saying it's an, an empty gesture and and the reason that I'm I'm drawing a parallel there is because wearing a t-shirt is that enough or how how much more powerful would it be to to boycott the competition? I mean, i i wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it to England withdrawing and boycotting the twenty twenty two World Cup because the the situation is 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 horrific. The the situation and the numbers behind and and it and the stories behind what's happened there to make this competition this tournament happen and it just feels like. It feels, in a way, um, Russia on 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 the Russian World Cup on steroids a little bit, in a way, because you know everyone. I, I wasn't at the Russia World Cup, but the the those that were speak of a, a, a brilliant experience and everything. But the the streets were cleaned up. It was it, the the issues in that country were um, were the, the 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 cracks in that country were were papered over you know and this this is you you can't ignore the the issues with um with Qatar because I just picture sitting in a stadium and thinking of of the amount of people that died building it for a football match. Johnny what happens do you think if one two three major nations decide to start talking about a possible boycott could that snowball? It could and I think it would have to be major nations i mean i've been thinking about the whole the whole scenario that i think and that norway have probably started this this conversation quite effectively and you know is boycotting the right thing or or, or is it actually doing something else uh, which might have a have a greater impact um and i mean look i i, I think this, this the context or the starting point and the lads have sort of touched on it is 
yes, we live in a morally compromised world. You know, our own government has arms deals with, with certain regimes with bad human rights records. Sport has been in deep with, with certain uh, locations. You know, Tom mentioned the boxing in, in Saudi Arabia. The Club World Cup's been in Qatar for the last two years. It's, it, it's in deep. You know, our football clubs are sponsored um, by places with, with poor human rights records. And also, I have to make the point that, that a lot of these migrant deaths um, are around infrastructure. And, and that's talking about building hotels and, and highways and stuff. Anyone that goes to Dubai on holiday, anyone that goes to that region on holiday is probably going to be taking advantage of, of facilities that have been built using the same migrant worker system with the, the poor rights records that we see with the World Cup. So that's just to say that we live in this very compromised world where once you start talking about the Qatar World Cup or let's say Manchester City and Abu Dhabi or whatever it is, people will always say, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? That's be a starting point somewhere if we want to change it. Um, yet again, it does seem to fall on football to be at the sharp end of this thing. And, and the World Cup can be a starting point in changing our relationship, not just football's relationship, but maybe the whole relationship with, with you know, what human rights and, and the importance of that and, 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 and so on. But is a boycott going to be the thing that would change it or would going to the tournament and doing you know, it's all about the optics, World Cups. What, what, what they want to present is, is this is a modern Qatar, this is fantastic, this is wonderful, world's great. Go and change the optics. Go and protest at the games. You know, if there was a sort of gesture, a sort of taking the knee style gesture that each team did or, or big teams did before every match and FIFA wouldn't be able to stop it, what, what a comment that would be, what a symbol that would be. Um, a bit like in the Black Power salute at the 68 olympics you know so if i actually think that would be more effective if there was a if there's a gesture that, that that players wanted to come up with or nations wanted to come up with it might be the open fist um which which was originally a human rights symbol before tommy smith and all that kind of stuff so i don't know what it would be but to me that would actually seem to be more effective than a, a boycott a boycott i think ends up having a sort of you know countries that do countries that don't situation them and us um and as I say, what it doesn't do is spoil the, the lovely optics that, 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 that FIFA want to have. So that, that, I think Norway, what, what they've done has been probably more effective, let's say, than if they just refused to play their, their game or pulled out of the tournament straight away. They've started a conversation. As Wijnaldum said as well, you know, the play, none of the players decide where the World Cup's hosted and they come around every four years. You know, you've got to, you've got to think of how many opportunities a footballer gets to do that I mean that's a, this is a, a small insignificant matter in in the in the in the kind of broad spectrum of this conversation but um yeah I don't I think Johnny's right it doesn't fall upon football football can highlight these these issues um probably more acutely by by actually being there we will see if any uh, teams make that decision any players specifically make that decision I can imagine if you know, a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo comes out publicly and makes a stance, even if they still go to the tournament, um, that might change the public's feelings towards it as well. There's a long way to go until that World Cup and this conversation, I'm sure, will continue. Um, but since we're on the topic of football needing to do more, let's slightly change our angle. This week, the nation was confronted with the, the deeply emotional, the harrowing tales of victims of child sexual abuse in the game. The BBC's three-part series, Football's Darkest Secret, 
aired. Uh, since 2016, there have been convictions for former youth football coaches such as Barry Burnell, Bob Higgins and George Ormond. Uh, we heard personal testimony from the likes of Andy Woodward, formerly of Crew Alexandra, former Spurs, Manchester City and England player Paul Stewart, uh, among many others. It was it was a distressing watch. It was an emotional watch. It was an important piece of work, Tom. Yeah, totally. I mean, the first first thing to stand out for me was was the bravery of these men to to voice in graphic and uncomfortable detail what happened to them. And it is uncomfortable, and it's not nice. It's it's not pleasant to watch, but it's it's not meant to be. You know, these these are men who are talking to ensure that any other perpetrators are, are, are caught to ensure these things don't happen again um and i think the 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 the, 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 the nucleus of of all these abusers is is power and with and in different ways as well with groomers because you know barry bennell you've got the the man that everyone in in the family of these boys liked um i think i think one of the one of the um former footballers said in the programme that their dads wanted to be like them, the mums and sisters fancied them, um, but there was this this brutal violence towards the boys. And then in the case of Bob Higgins, you've got, he, he, he groomed them and made, made them love him. There were these romantic love letters that they would write to him. And I think the 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 parts of the programme where they talk in detail about what happened are harrowing and horrible. But for me, the, the most painful part was actually the missed opportunities that they had to, to catch them. But I mean, I would just recommend anyone who hasn't watched it to, to watch it because it can't have been easy for them to talk about this. Uh, as I'm speaking, I've just seen that Crew Alexander's uh, long-standing chairman, John Bowler, has quit following last week's publication of the Sheldon Report. He's apologised uh, to players sexually abused by the club's ex-youth coach, Barry Burnell. I'll just read you part of his statement. He says, I today have informed my fellow directors I intend to stand down from my position as a board member of Crew Alexandra Football Club with immediate effect. I always intended to do so following the conclusion of the Sheldon Review into Child Abuse in Football as the only person left with an association to that era. I truly believe it was important for me to see it through to the conclusion. I'm satisfied with the findings of the review that found the club did not have any knowledge of Barry Burnell's heinous crimes. I will always be deeply appalled and sorry that those young players and their families suffered at the hands of this evil predator. I personally and sincerely apologise to them all for their suffering. Crew Alexandra is a community-based football club with good people. I apologise to all of our supporters that the name of the club has been tarnished. I've worked on the formation of a new board. I know they will do all they can to move the club forward. Our academy remains one of the finest in the country. We have every confidence in our safeguarding policies and procedures. There is always room for improvement as a club and we will welcome the future recommendations of the Sheldon Review. Um... Uh, Gregor, this Sheldon review last week found institutional failings within the football association as well, saying it was it was too slow to put sufficient measures in place between 1995 and the year 2000. Um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but watching it, there was a sense that for for many of the people involved, um, it, it it may not have been as dark a secret, as deep a secret as sort of people now may think um 
you know, lots of the, the children, the players involved saying that there was sort of, you know, there was this coach and that coach that, that parents wouldn't, you know, want a, a child to be near, you know, but it was never really brought to the fore. And, and football as a whole um, has, of course, let these people down, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just astonishing when you saw the, the dispatches programme that was that was aired uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. That was, and the kind of silence it was met with and the bravery of the people who did speak out at that time and they felt like they were completely abandoned and ignored afterwards. It was just remarkable. Um, I thought it was one of the most moving, kind of powerful programmes I've seen in many, many years. And I, I, I'm kind of pleased to hear that, that, John Bowler's decided to, to go because Cruz, after, I completely echo what Tom said, the, the bravery of of these guys um, was remarkable. And that's the biggest takeaway from the programme. But after that, for me, it was the appalling way that Crew, in particular, dealt with the fallout from this Um and that was almost kind of underlined with Matt Lawton had a story last week where they essentially tried to suppress Dave Artell, the manager, who basically made an apology on behalf of the club as the manager, the figurehead of the club. And the, the press officer afterwards rang around the people that were involved, just the local press, saying, look, we don't want this to go national. And they, I think they said, they said in Matt's story that they were uncomfortable with the sorry thing. So, they, you know, they've always been... Uh, it's been described as kind of by some of the survivors as mealy-mouthed apologies. And, you know, the thing that this programme really raised was that it's, it's not really it's not really easy to, to stand by their position of complete ignorance. You know, it's like, and I know that, the, as they said in their statement, that the investigations have shown that, that, that I've that there, they, there's no evidence that they knew they knew anything, but there were people who who said on the program that um, you know there were certainly plenty of rumours, and some individual, some form, a former board member, in fact, called a convened a meeting about it, and it was and it was put to to certain certain officials at the club, and nothing nothing happened. So as Tom says, there's so many missed opportunities, and all because really of the cost that would have been to the football club or to the to reputations or to to football's reputation that's just, that's at the root of the FA's kind of uh, silence at this from the solace as well so you know crew crew is a club i i played for for 18 months and um i i just absolutely feel that this is that it's so important that that John Bowler has, has stood down now because the club would be tainted forevermore until the people who were it's just astonishing that the people who were at the, at the club involved in positions of power at that time are still there and have still been the ones who are who've tried to kind of bundle their way through this so they have to go and I'm, I'm delighted this has started to happen now because crew you know for crew to kind of move forward um and for football to move forward i think you know that there has to be apologies and there has to be certain well i think we all know that that children are much safer now in football clubs care um, but but that certainly certainly was not the case uh, back in the day this, pro- this programme showed in harrowing detail 
I think what Greg is alluding to there is that there has been a sustained lack of accountability with, from within the game, Jonathan. Um, and that, that is the saddest thing, I think, to, to see. And, and maybe he's right. Things have changed, of course. Um, but, but I think we still see a sport that is too scared to take responsibility for its mistakes in, in many avenues. I agree with that. I think we see a sport that, that still puts its own um, image or whatever above those uh, the, the, the needs and rights of, uh, uh, and lives of individuals, sadly. I think football still moves to protect itself. And John Bowler's... Um, you know, resignation is is a is a bit of a start, but you know there has been precious few um, takings of institutional responsibility, really, not by individuals. And I worked on the story last week um, on on one of the abusers, Kit Carson, who, who was at Cambridge and Peterborough, Norwich, and and employed Bob Higgins even after he'd been um, tried for, for for child sex abuse, um, and. The, he, you know, he, the, the football just carried on, um, and it's, there's a feeling it's still trying to carry on to an extent without um, to kind of try and say that this is this was in the past. These were these individuals, but it's all fine now. And and the Sheldon report, I think Matt Dickinson said very accurately, um, it, it's impressive in its in its breadth, but quite shallow in its its detail because of its breadth. I felt the Sheldon report was kind of set up almost to to fail in a way in that it was, you know, the, the, the idea is we're going to deal with child sex abuse by commissioning a, a, a review that looks at a, a historical period and doesn't look beyond or outside of that. So what you got, the review's done incredible work in trying to look at all these things, but it hasn't been able to really investigate things, really um, hold in, you know, people who are still at clubs to account and the tenor of the report again and again boils down to this individual abuser did this. The club says it didn't know. We accept that. It couldn't really have known um, and it was in the past. Move on. You know, the FA comes out and apologises. We're really sorry. Institutional failings. You know, it was all in the past. And um, a feeling that, you know, <sighs> As I say, individuals who were working at the time, whose responsibility it was to oversee the welfare of young players, um, are still in place. So John Bowler going to start, but I think there's still a lot of questions. I think there's still a lot of questions as to, um, you know, who really is taking responsibility for this. It doesn't. It hasn't sat really easily the last week or two with 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 me. Um, in and and you, the the victims. You know, as the lads have said, whose bravery shines through in those programmes, I think are still left feeling this hasn't entirely been dealt with. You know, this is a quite a heavy topic, but one of the reasons we kind of thought we'd we'd uh, we'd speak about it is just to urge anyone who's not watched this programme to do so. I think because you know, Danny Danny Taylor, who was who the journalist who deserves huge credit as well for for breaking these stories and doing so much work, he said that. I think on average, well, the, the kids, whoever, somebody's worked out that one in eight survivors come forward. So there's still, this is not even scratching the surface, probably. And I have to say that once, watching this programme, you know, I had in the back of my mind that I could quite possibly have been in these people's situation. I played for Celtic Boys Club when I was a kid and two two people who were present during my time at Celtic Boys Club have since been convicted of of child abuse 
the bravery of these guys um, and seeing the effect on the rest of their lives as well was really, really moving. And yeah, just to anyone who anyone hasn't watched it, I would, I would very much recommend they do so. It's called Football's Darkest Secret. You can get it on the BBC iPlayer right now. It's a hard-hitting but important documentary piece of work and some very, very brave, brave stories from families involved and the people, of course, involved as well. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from the Times. On the way, we will talk about taking a knee and if it happens with the England squad. How would you feel about it? But remember, you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from if you're enjoying the game. Also, you can get more of our award-winning journalism by getting yourself a digital subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times. You can get it on all of your devices right now. If you sign up today, you'll also get one month free. Go online, Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. Will England's players take a knee? It's been, I guess, a divisive thing in football since last summer. A bit like Colin Kaepernick in the NFL started back in 2016. The World Cup qualifiers give the players who have been taking the knee momentarily before kickoff in their Premier League and EFL matches the chance to kneel during the national anthem. Some feeling that would be massively disrespectful or, or totally change the whole point of what taking the knee stands for. But it, but it brings the issue of social injustice, I think, to the fore. It would certainly be more impactful. Gareth Southgate says his players are discussing it. He also says he's happy that his players are getting together to discuss this. So he does think it's an important issue. But Johnny, I just imagine what the newspapers, the radio stations, breakfast TV might be like on Friday if an England player were to kneel against social injustice during the English national anthem, <laughs> yes, uh, I, c- I can imagine. I can imagine the reaction, and uh, I probably wouldn't want to read uh, readers' comments beneath any article of any paper because it brings out the best and worst of humanity. But um, it's. I think we've got to go back to where, what we're taking the knee came from with with Kaepernick, and and it was specifically a gesture during the American national anthem, specifically at the time to 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 make a comment that the US as a country, as his country, wasn't dealing with um, racial injustice or racial justice, whatever you want to say, properly. Uh, Violence towards, by the police, towards young black people um, and the entire American kind of system. It was a specific protest about his country and that's why um, he did it during the the anthem. So for players, England players to do it during the um, their national anthem would be, I guess, a specific comment about um, about Britain uh, and, and where Britain is. And I think that's where there would be a huge debate. And I think that's where there'd be a lot of different opinions from the players. The last thing I want to do is sit here and, and tell players what they should do, what they should think, um, because it's it, you know I I can't relate. I can't relate to being a, a 25 year old young black footballer in, in England or, or you know it, it, that's not, not my place to make that comment but I just think that that, that, that we have probably have to remember where the um, where the gesture came from and what it would mean to do it during the anthem um, I would applaud anything they wanted to do because it's it's it, as I say it's uh, I, the, the idea of, of, of players standing up um, against injustice, sits very well with me I, th- I think 
since since the first taking the knee, which I think Tyrone Mings was, and, and David McGoldrick were behind. So Tyrone Mings is involved for England tonight. Um, it has, for better or worse, brought the kept the subject in, in, in the front of people's minds and kept people talking about it. Um, it's up to them what they want to do. And, and that's what Gareth Southgate has, has, has also said. Um, I just think we need to talk about the... Um, Talk, well, we need to keep talking about the the subject and and hopefully get to a place where it doesn't. It's, it's not football that's just having to to be at the front of, of of highlighting these things. Tom, what do you think? What what will the reaction be like if an England player takes the knee? And I guess what would the consequences be? I don't particularly like to think about it, to be honest, uh, Hugh. Um, but I I can only really. Uh, echo everything that that Johnny said. I think one thing I do think is that the Gareth Southgate saying that it needs to be a sort of, it's going to be a a unified um, stance either way, uh, whatever they do, is, is really important. And the reason for that is because I think I, I I don't know if you remember, but the, when you had the the Formula One drivers who were taking the knee, and you had them lined up before the race, and some of them taking the knee and some not, and it just it looked like this it, this this visual image of um, division with uh, with yeah huge division in the image of it, um, and I think this. Part of of taking the knee uh, and uh, in England in in and in Britain was was as to kind of reflect Black Lives Matter and it all goes back to an element of of solidarity and of course Johnny mentioned earlier uh, about the sixty eight Olympics and you had the the Black Power salute of Smith and Carlos and and then there was also the um, the Australian sprinter Peter Norman wasn't there, who who wore the the, the badge that day, and uh, and and he he ended up being a prior um, in in Australia. But it, it goes back to to solidarity. So um, I think it has to be. It definitely has to be unified in whatever they do. Um, and again, I'm you know I'm not going to say it, it should be done or it shouldn't be done. I think it was one thing that we'll say is that it was when Aston Villa and Sheffield United did it for that first game, it was one of the most powerful things, probably the most powerful thing I've ever seen live um, in a football match uh, in sport. And I think that um, I remember Harry Kane saying that if one person sees us doing it and asks why we're doing it and they are informed and educated by it, then that's that's a positive thing. I'm, kind of, I'm slightly torn about that, about the whole unified approach line of thinking. But what if what if Wilfred Zaha played for played for England? Um, you know, there's a strong possibility then that you might be asking someone to do something that they don't want to do. Um, so you know, I I understand that if 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 there's possibly you know say there's two players who decide to do so, yes, Hugh, you're absolutely right. The consequences from them and from some some uh, aspects of the British media and the British public would be pretty chastening for them, I think. Um, but I, I actually think it should be within everyone's right to do do what they feel. 
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's right. And, and then it's up, for the, up to them to explain the reasons for doing so. So... Um, <laughs> As I say, again, I understand that the certainly got a Southgate's uh, reasoning behind wanting to want it to be a unified approach, but I'd also think that these conversations could be quite interesting. I, there, I would imagine there'd be some England players who who would like to do, do it, and some people, some who possibly don't. I really agree with you, Gregor, about that. And Zaha came into my mind when I was thinking about this idea of it being unified because he 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 released a very eloquent statement um which gave very good reasons for not doing it that it felt like an empty gesture and and it has you know the the said about the the villa game and um villa sheffield united game and it's never it was so powerful and gradually it's it's not become seeing it has not become as powerful it's become something that the players do before each game it's just some people agree with that and some don't I mean, this is but their own reasoning. It was just this idea of this visual image of if you're taking a knee, then you support something, and if you're stood up, you don't. And I'm not saying uh, there's there's huge nuance on it, and I'm not saying that if you're stood up, you don't support these things. But I'm what I'm saying is that it, it may have appeared to some people that if you don't take the knee, that's where you are. I'm saying you, you know it's 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 the division side of it that it um, not. I'm not saying that. Um, t- that taking a knee is, is divisive. I'm saying that it looks like there's a huge division there between where the, the morals of these two people stand if you're taking a knee or if you're not. Maybe what we could agree on is that the football as a whole, the game isn't doing enough. Yeah, we're talking about this more than we're talking about what the bigger issues. Everyone says we need to talk about much deeper issues in racism, but really, no one really buries into how very deeply what, what, what they are and what can be done. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, irrespective of someone's political opinion or personal opinion about what Britain does to, uh, you know, a, a address social injustice and, and, and race and so on, you, we could maybe all or the players could 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 certainly agree that the game's not doing enough. You only need to look at another season where UEFA seemed to deal very weakly with with instances of racial abuse. 
in um, their own club competitions and we've been talking about FIFA and Qatar and you know there's an element there of, of racial injustice because um, rights for, for people from certain parts of the world seem to be greater than um, migrant workers from, from, from Asia in, in those places. So we could maybe agree that the game's not doing enough and, and some form of protest that takes place during UEFA anthems or FIFA anthems um, might be a starting point. But beyond that, I, I, you know, it's down to the individual, totally agree with Gregor, um, but there, there will be more debate and disagreement um, uh, once the point is broadened out to beyond just the game. What do you think, you? Well, look, I, I think it's one of those. It, I also I think when we reflect on what we spoke about earlier with Qatar, you know, if these players are serious around, um, you know, addressing injustice, whether that be social here, whether that be human rights in Qatar, um, that they, they really have to do something. Um, it coming during the national anthem clearly changes things. We saw what happened to Colin Kaepernick, never played a game in the NFL pretty much again. So we can see what it can do to someone's career, but um, but it, it boils down to the individual and where their commitment is around it, really. Um, I, I imagine I probably would, you know, if I was in the England team, but obviously I'm very, very removed from being in that position. But um you know, the, the national anthem is the, the point where you actually, that's the thing, if you look across the world, that has actually made taking the knee much more striking, you know, because that that is saying this thing that is meant to represent all of us, this song that we're all meant to stand with our hand on our hearts about, actually means something different to me than it does to you. This country means something different to me than it does to you. That's the message of, of social injustice. My England is not your England. You know, and that I think is the point of it. The players that, that take the knee are probably the ones that understand that and maybe the players who don't aren't. But I wouldn't have any judgment on people that, that don't. I don't have any judgment on people that do. I think it's it's up to the individual. But for those players that think it might be getting watered down just before the match to do it for those 10 seconds, and this is their opportunity to put it back in the forefront and actually make it mean something, mean something a, a hell of a lot more. It would not be forgotten, I don't think. It would never really be forgotten if a player did it during the national anthem. So, um, you know, that player would have to probably live with being booed at every football ground they play at for the rest of their career. But um, but I think in terms of the conversation around social injustice, this would be the thing that meant that anyone who has currently avoided the conversation about it wouldn't be able to. Um, that, I think, would be the power of it. So um, I, I wanted to talk about it because... I just think it would be a massive, massive story, really, if a player did it. And when I heard Gareth Southgate say the players were discussing it, I thought, well, what's there to discuss? They've been doing it every week in the Premier League. And then I suddenly thought, is it that some of them want to take the knee during the national anthem? And it's important that they discuss that beforehand um, for those players that take the knee and those players that don't, because there could be ramifications for both, really. Um, I'm intrigued to see what happens before the game. I think it would be a massive moment for the country. I, for some reason, it's one of those examples as well that you just go, why is football so effective compared to other things in sort of getting into that national dialogue in this country? I mean, we really, we do love the game so much. We are so passionate about it that you almost think if, if Raheem Sterling was, I don't know, if he went to Buckingham Palace and he was getting an, an OBE or something, I don't know, and he, he he wore something that spoke about social injustice or he did something there to make a point about social injustice, it probably wouldn't be as striking as if he did it in an England football shirt, which is, it's, you know, that shows you the power of, 
of those three lines. So, um, you know, it's the opportunity for, I'm not circling, um, singling him out or for any of those players, black, white or otherwise, um, to sort of make make a stance. And it would be really interesting to see who, who decides. An know. opportunity in an empty stadium. I mean, it'll come again. Yeah. Yeah, that is true as well. Don't want to predict what the the reaction would be, but I think, you know, certainly a fair swathe of the, the crowd would not be too best pleased with it, I would imagine. So, well, who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm predicting there. But certainly, I think we know this is something that's been hugely divisive in the population at large. And uh, um, yeah, as you say, it'd be very interesting to see to see what the players decide to do. Who knew the power of taking a knee? All these protests, all these marches over the years, you know, riots and stuff. And all you needed to do was take a knee to, to shape the national discourse. Who knew? Um, <laughs> but, it, but it would be a watershed moment. And I think earlier this week, we had another watershed moment, really. This around the discussion on mental health. Sadly, the Fiorentina boss, Cesare Prandelli, stood down from the role. He, he gave an open, honest, really astounding and heartbreaking description of how he was feeling in leaving the role. The former Italy, Roma and Valencia manager uh, put out a statement saying that he had gone through a profound period of distress, which was preventing him from being who he really was. He went on to say over the past few months, a dark cloud has developed inside of me, changing the way I see things. He says, I'm aware that this could be the end of my career as a coach, but I have no regrets and I don't wish to have any. The world I've been a part of for my whole life probably isn't right for me anymore. I no longer see myself in it. I've certainly changed, but the world is moving faster than I thought to. That's why I believe the time has come for me to stop being swept along, stop for a while and rediscover my true self once again. I've never really seen a statement as sort of open as this before. Um, I thought it was just amazingly brave, Gregor. What did you make of the statement? Yeah, it was kind of very eloquent and beautifully written as well. It's uh, hugely open and and uh, candid. I just, I think, I think the saddest thing is he said that you know I understand this may be the end of my career, and I think that probably that line in itself will <laughs> tell you why why anyone who any manager or otherwise who who's felt something felt this way before or suffered with depression or, you know, any men mental health issues have, have not done this. Um, because they feel that it could be kind of the end of their, their, their career and there's still that stigma about it. I think that is changing. I think we have to say that is changing. I, I would like to hope, hope it's changing anyway. Um, I, I don't know. He, he certainly seems to have a question mark about that, but yeah, just very, 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 very uh, brave and, and and eloquent, I thought. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is a, a positive step forward that, that, that a manager, a very hugely experienced manager of, you know, of his age as well, that, that's willing to come out and be so open about this. Does it help us, Tom, understand the pressure of football, of being in a, a high profile role like this? Yeah, I think it does. And and what Gregor said at the end there, you know, it's a 63-year-old man who has uh, years, decades of experience in, in sport. And it then makes me think of the young guys coming through uh, who, who are not... Um, you know, they're trying to find who they are as, as human beings before, you know, f before football comes into it and the pressure that is put on them. And I think this is a reminder, this is a reminder for that, that, that 
all these people we're we're watching and judging and having these these knee jerk um, reactions and judgments too on how they perform on a football field. Um, it's there is so much pressure that comes with that, and and um, and it's it's difficult to handle that. And I think you know we've this this pretty much this whole podcast has been us talking about people who um, are doing the right thing rather than the easy thing, and it feels like. Prandelli's statement is a little bit of that you know he could have he could have just resigned and and not said these things but but he did and it I think the important thing like the 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 football's darkest secrets and the players coming forward to that it, sh- it shows other people that you can talk about that um, you can talk about your experiences and you know, because we also have we have history in football, like in because it is a reflection of society. We have a history of um, of losing people who we didn't know were struggling with certain situations as well. So um, I, I think him Prandelli speaking about it should show people that they they can and, and should feel comfortable to speak about it. Jonathan, do you think more managers will speak about their experiences like this? I'm not sure if they will, for the reasons um, that, that you know we've been talking about. That, that this may well end Prandelli's top-level career, and I think about Martin Ling, who has spoken bravely about his mental health issues and hasn't really um, you know, worked. I think he did get go back to Orient after doing so, but that didn't last very long. I, th- I think the game still. Um, may stigmatize such people sadly and and maybe there will be reluctance to speak out but i think as as tom and and gregor were saying it's incredibly brave by prandelli this is a really top manager being brave enough to talk about these issues and it will maybe at least help people who who are going through something similar in the game um and maybe help people understand the the pressures of football management the goldfish bowl nature of it the incessant nature of it um maybe the, the, the lack of, of, of help there is. Um, so he's done something, you know, he's had a great coaching career, but, but he's also done something that he'll be remembered for um, in, in you know, crafting that statement and, and taking this action and being so open about it. Martin Ling, as, as, as Johnny was saying there, you know, he's the only person really I can personally think of that's, that said this. And he has said, he's actually director of football at Leighton Orient now. They are, I think as a football club, they've been really good in supporting him and, and he's done a good job for them too, actually, in terms of being there when they got promoted back to the Football League. But he, he before that, he did speak about the stigma of it and he felt that, you know, that, that his, his, uh, his kind of future job prospects considerable harm. Um, so as as I'm saying, I still think that was, that was an intriguing line. That was it was it was an intriguing statement actually. I mean, he was talking about kind of not. I no longer see myself in 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 this world anymore. Um, but he's also talking about the world is moving faster than I thought too. It's there's some kind of interesting interesting lines in the statement about I don't know. Certainly his, his own struggles, but perhaps the way that football is changing as well. I'm not sure. I'm not certainly more. I think there's more to more to be heard from him about this, and I hope he does does speak uh, as candidly as he has in the statement. 
This is also an era where it's kind of changed, hasn't it? Because this is an era where footballers and managers are more kind of protected than ever in the terms of the people around them, the systems that clubs have to to protect players and coaches and staff. But at the same time, it's also an era in which social media is, you know, you can so easily be abused if you're on social media. And it's, it's speaking of another documentary, which isn't related to, to, to football or sport at all. There was recently the Channel 4 documentary on Caroline Flack and her experiences of, of social media addiction and the abuse she got, and she just couldn't avoid avoid it. Um, it was it was kind of an obsession, and so there's it's uh, as much as you're protected more these days, you're also um, more vulnerable to abuse. I think it's a conversation that needs to continue, of course, and support is one major thing. Just finally on it, Gregor, from from your perspective during your career, did, did people check on the manager? We often talk about checking on your players and man management from the manager to the players. Did anyone ever check on the boss? Not that I'm aware of. No, I think, to be honest, I mean, throughout much of my career, I wouldn't really say anyone checked on the players either. I think this is a, this is pretty fast developing as Tom says, there's more care and, and attention about this, these these issues now, uh, given given to players. But I would I would agree with you from what you're kind of alluding to there. I would say that managers probably are a blind spot. You're the man. You're the figurehead. Uh, you're the one in the firing line, and you know I think you have to have a pretty good support network around you to help you deal with some of the stresses and strains of of being a manager. Because you look at you look at some of the. <laughs> You know, someone like Steve Bruce we were talking about last week and some of the, you know, he, he must be in a very difficult position just now. And, um, you know, that's just one name to it. Being a manager, you are the man who takes the flak and who is in the fire lane. So it's a very, very difficult, difficult position to be in sometimes. We hope that Cesare Prandelli, um, we wish him all the best and we hope that he is back in football and doing what he loves soon, if that is the thing that... that makes him healthy uh, ultimately uh, if not then of course best of luck with whatever is next um look finally before we go let's just spend the last few minutes on the world cup qualifiers which started last night Alexander Mitrovic scored a double for Serbia against the Republic of Ireland, but it included a delightful chip over a languishing Mark Travers in goal. Uh, Mitrovic has 38 goals in his 62 caps for Serbia. And that got us thinking about the players who were probably better for their country than they were for their club. Um, Jonathan, I'll, I'll start with you. Um could could one player stand out for you on this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think of this. It seems to happen to strikers more than anyone else, actually, uh, for whatever reason. Maybe Gregor would have some idea. But you think about Miroslav Klose, who who you know did have a good club career, but not nothing like his Germany career. Uh, Northern Ireland had David Healy and Kyle Lafferty, both of whom were lethal in the international stage. Um, so maybe maybe it's a strikers thing. But the, the name that actually come, came to my mind. Just as a Scotland thing, but Colin Calderwood, who I, I reported on a lot when um, he was at the centre of Craig Brown's Scotland team, and he was he was unbelievable for Scotland. He had a good club career, but it didn't quite reach the levels of his international career. And and maybe maybe it was because in the international game he could he he had brilliant recovery pace. He, he was very good at um, sort of one on one duels. Um, he seemed to sort of 
present foreign strikers with with an issue that maybe they hadn't experienced too often, which is just this, he was so tenacious in one-on-ones. I remember my, my colleague, Kevin McCarra, late Kevin McCarra, described him, you know, tackling Colin Caldwell was like tackling a giant pair of scissors because he was all kind of sharp elbows and kind of just, just hurt a player and strikers didn't like to come near him in the international games. So, so yeah, it's, the international game is different and maybe just some players have got a skill set that, that is perfect for that. Tom, anyone come to mind for you? I think this is actually unfair on his club career, but it's probably just the numbers was 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 Peter Crouch jumped out immediately because of his because of the numbers that he recorded for for England. Um I think a lot of Arsenal fans might say Granite Xhaka probably um, the performances he puts in for Switzerland. But I think the, the main one for me was probably Asamoah Jan because, I mean, he's Ghana's all-time top scorer, scored more goals than any other player from an African nation at World Cups. Um, and yet his, his club career, his record was decent, but his, his club career wasn't, it, it, I don't think it reflects quite the same as it does for his country. I love this topic as well, Q. I was just going to say, I love, I love, I just love this topic because there is, there's a, it's, it's great to see when players perform. I mean, Bale isn't in this category, but because he performed so well for his clubs, but it's so great when you see him playing for Wales. Yeah, I see what you mean. Loads of suggestions came in online as well. Uh, Some talking about Paul Gascoigne, for for example, as good as he was for his clubs. He was sort of more of an international legend. Lucas Podolski, a lot of people have said. Um, We had a few David Healy's who's already been mentioned. Um, Karol Poborski of the Czech Republic. Milan Barros as well. Lucas Podolski. Jordan Pickford, someone said now as well. Um, there, there are quite a few. Gregor, did anyone stand out for you? I think you could probably... I, was, I think, I don't know, is it being harsh? I think you could chuck James McFadden in there. He's good, you know, he was good forever and he was good. He had a good club career, but he was just outstanding for Scotland. He was a talisman, yeah, so yeah, I think you yeah. could... But also, uh, I was looking at um, Fabio Grosso for Italy. Oh, yeah. You know, he was like 28 when he, he scored the 119th minute... Uh, winner against Germany in a World Cup fi- uh, semi-final in 2006 and he scored the winning penalty um, and he'd played for I think he was playing for Palermo at the time and he'd played for Perugia and a couple of lower league Italian clubs before that you know very kind of middling career and then he got moved to Inter after that um, after that World Cup and Leon and Juve as well but he you know never really hit those heights he did and he played really well again in the Euros in 2008 so I think I think uh, for for his impact in those in that in that World Cup, definitely compared to the rest of his career, I'd say I'd say Grosso, yeah. Do we add the likes of Lampard, Gerard Scholes <laughs> to this, or are we allowed? No, surely not. <laughs> I'll leave it there. The England fans are going to hammer me enough, I'm sure. So I'll leave it there. Uh, pleasure to be with you as always, Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson, and Jonathan Northcross. And thank you for listening to the Game Podcast. Remember, right now you can get yourself a digital subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times. You'll get all of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. And um, remember, you sign up today, you will get one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk/forward/slash/the-game to get started. Board. Next.
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 